What is up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the It's Called Soccer podcast, the weekly U.S. soccer show where we talk about everything in American soccer. Today, we'll cover everyone that is USMNT eligible across the pond, as well as one that is in Liga MX. So who will that be? Let's see. We'll review the January USMNT roster that will be playing two matches against Serbia and Colombia coming up in the next week. And we'll cover the U.S. Women's National Team's two rompings of New Zealand, end with our top five power rankings of players. And to finish off the episode, we'll have a new recurring segment where we will answer the fans' questions in a mailbag mailbag <laughs> section. So before we do any of that, we have a new face and a new voice joining us today. She is the Chattanooga FC capo and a relatively new national team fan. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Of course, everyone in the comments, say hello to Ellie. Let us know what you think of the new co-host. Ellie, who are you? Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Um, so I my name's Ellie. Um, I am Thomas's sister, actually. Um, I live in Tennessee. Um, recently graduated from college. Um, I've only been a soccer fan, like know anything about soccer for about four years now. Um, I got into it when Thomas introduced me and have just fallen in love um huge supporter of everything national team um and lover of lower league soccer and all things uh nisa so what a what a niche category of all things to have um having a fan of nisa like that is just a crazy crazy development here on the pod uh welcome to the most connected nisa person that i know personally so congrats ellie <laughs> I think soccer stuff. Let me know. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're the only person allowed to call Tom Tom. So everyone in the comments, Keith, hold your tongue. It's still Tom for for the rest of us. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry. I grew up with a a different name. It's this Tom thing is new to me. (laughs) That's okay. How much do you get used to it over time? (laughs) What? What do you prefer? So I'm a weirdo that likes Thomas in regular life, but I've kind of split where. The astronomer is Thomas, and the soccer fan is Tom. All right, this is your alter ego, Tom. Tom, <laughs> yeah. the soccer fan. Amazing. All right, let's talk about the whip around coverage, all of the USMNT eligible players that played over the last week. So in the midweek last week, Chris Richards gets his first start. Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC and MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. In a 1-1 draw with Manchester United, a huge start for Chris. He gets 90 minutes, and we'll see him again where we talk about the weekend games. And Tom, because you're wearing his jersey, I will ask you about his performances. Let's go through Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson get leads back on track in the FA Cup with a 5-2 victory over Cardiff. Munis Musa helps Valencia advance in the Copa del Rey. Weston McKinney gets an assist in Juventus's 2-1 victory over Monza in the Coppa Italia. 
And Luca De La Torre finally gets his first start for Celta de Vigo, but they fall 1-0 to Mallorca in La Liga play. So on the weekend, let's talk about Chris Richards a little bit. He gets his second start in a row and keeps his first clean sheet as Crystal Palace holds Newcastle, an amazing team currently in third place to a nil-nil draw. Tom, what did you make of Chris Richards' performance? Chris Richards for the last two games has just been excellent. I think the Manchester United game stood out for me particularly just because of how fast he is. He's keeping pace with players like Anthony and Rashford. He's going uh, step for step with them, reading their movements, be able to start when they start again, if they sort of make a hesitation. He's winning balls in the air. He almost scored against Newcastle. He had a really great chance right before halftime. He just flashes over the bar. I just... I couldn't be more impressed with how he played. He is such a strong, athletic guy, and he showed out in a big way. Um, he's become a fan favorite all of a sudden with the Palace fans as well, which is just really awesome to see. Uh, we saw Palace fans saying things like he was worth the wait to sort of see him start. So that's a great start to his Premier League career. I think we can expect a big second half from him. Hopefully he stays healthy, but if he does, this is this is a great development for us as U.S. fans. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, some more coverage. Jordan Pifak is back in action for Union Berlin, but misses a penalty kick. They continue their good form, though, as they continue in the Champions League spots with a 3-1 victory over Freiburg. In the championship in England, Ethan Horvath keeps another clean sheet for Luton in a 2-0 win over Wigan. Josh Sargent gets another goal as David Wagner starts his Norwich career 2-2 as they beat Coventry 4-2. And Ellie, I want to talk to you about a tri-national right now because Fuller of Allegan had a penalty kick for Rams as they advanced in their League Cup. I know you're a big Balogun fan. Why do you love Fuller and Balogun so much? And do you think he's going to commit to the U.S. soon? I can't hope hard enough that he commits to the U.S. Like, I honestly cannot hope hard enough. I just, I want to see him on the roster. I think that he, like, watching his penalty kick this week, like, He's so calm. It's just, he's got such like, you can see him just breathe. He's got this. He's got no stress. He goes right in. Beautiful penalty. I just, I I think that he's just got this like, I don't know, this mentality that I think would add to our team. Um, We've got such a young and impressive and just fun team. And I think that he would bring, I think he's fitting perfectly. I think that he has the right personality, the right everything. I just, I can't, I cannot sing his phrases enough. And I was so excited to see that he got a penalty this week. Ugh. Yeah, he, he continues his good form scoring. He is almost in double digits now for the the league and the cup combined. And Tom, you mentioned Haji Wright last week as missing from the squad. He was missing from the squad again in Turkey. Is a transfer incoming? There are rumors about Southampton. No, it's not. I don't think it's a transfer anymore. He is being withheld for a back injury that has him out until early February, according to the reports I've heard. I'm sort of sad about that because I think this was his window where he would have to move. But I think this injury is going to keep him out till after the window is closed. And I just don't see it in the cards if he's hurt for them, someone to bring him in and try and rehab him and get him going right away. So if he moves, I think we're looking at a summer move. means that he's got another four or five months in Turkey to really keep pumping those numbers up, keep on this form he's been on since, really since arriving at Antalya Sport last year. Yeah, I mean, he's fourth in goal scored in the league for a underperforming team, and that just shows how critical he is up front. 
Malik Tillman and James Sands get minutes in Rangers 1-0 victory over St. Johnstone. And Brian Reynolds, a name we haven't talked about very much, goes 90 in a 1-1 draw for Westerloo. He is still on loan from Roma. Um, he is quietly having a really good season. He's 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 flying very much under the radar with U.S. fans. But remember, this is a kid who went to Europe after only 17 appearances in MLS. He has a lot of potential, and he finally seems to be finding his footing uh, with Westerloo. So this is a name to watch. Yeah. Ellie, is there still hope for Brian Reynolds' career? I hope so. I was... I, I don't know if everyone was, but I was absolutely convinced when we had, um, I'm blanking on manager's name. Um, yes, Mourinho. I was absolutely convinced when Mourinho came in that it was done, that, that his career, he was going to get shipped off to a smaller league in the middle of nowhere, and that was it for him. And it was heartbreaking to see. I was so excited that, to like see him at Roma and see him just having the time of his life doing great. And then seeing Mourinho come in, like, that convinced me. But I think that he still got it. Like, I don't think that there's any... I, I think if he has the right move, I think if everything goes to plan, I think that he can bring it back. I don't think that his career is done or anything like that. I think... Yeah. He's still young. He's still a really athletic kid, too. So, you know, his... If he continues to develop the technical side of his game, I don't see why he can't carve out a nice career for himself in Europe. I think it'll be really hard for him to carve out a spot where we're considering him for national team call-ups, just given the names who are in front of him and the names who are coming up in the pipeline. But there is nothing to stop him from having a really long career in Europe, I think. There's still time. There's a lot of yeah. time between now and the next World Cup. There are players that we would have never expected to play a part in 2022 that started somewhere like Westerloo. So, Brian Reynolds, keep keep working hard. We'll see where you're at in 2026. Now let's talk about the man of the hour, Alex Zendejas, who is going to be on the January USMNT roster, plays for Club America in Mexico. He got an assist and goal and man of the match award in a 2-2 draw. Now, he is a player that played for the U-17s, actually played with Christian Pulisic and a lot of the other USMNT players that you know, but he has played a few senior uh, games for Mexico as well. Although they tried to force him to sign a contract, an agreement that would say he would commit to Mexico. Uh, Mexico also had to forfeit those matches, yeah. I think, that Alex yeah. Zendejas has played in. So what is, what's up with Alex Zendejas, Tom? Who is he? What do people need to know about him? Alex Zendejas is a, I, he's, I think, a winger, but I think he could debutize as a 10 or an attacking 8 if you really needed him to. Um, he is a... Really dynamic attacking player. He's been one of Club America's better players this year. He <laughs> Apparently, the Mexican Federation is much worse at scouting than I gave them credit for. Because while the U.S. Soccer Federation has people actively reading Twitter and big soccer forums to try and find dual and try nats like Yunus Musa, who they didn't know about, um, Mexico can't seem to realize that Zinhaas played at the U-17 World Cup for the United States which made him ineligible to play for the senior Mexican national team. I think that they just assumed that due to Shivas USA's policy of only playing Mexican national team players, that he would have filed a one-time switch before signing with Shivas. Never happened. So he was not eligible to play for Mexico because he didn't file the one-time switch. So he's only eligible for the United States of America right now. Uh, just to give some context on this whole drama that's unfolding, Mexico's now been hit with a small penalty by FIFA for playing an el ineligible player. Zendejas is now committed, uh, verbally at least, to the U.S., at least for his friendlies. 
Pulisic has recruited him super hard since the summer. It's a very interesting drama that's sort of been unfolding in the background, uh, just sort of on the periphery of the U.S. sort of community. Over the last six months, it's sort of now coming to the forefront as he gets called into a camp. It's a lot of exciting stuff, though. I, I liked watching the highlights I saw of that game for Club America. He also had a brilliant shot that hit the post in that game. So there's there's a lot to like about his game and about what he can bring. My question, Jake, throwing it back to you is, do you think that this sort of courting the U.S. Soccer Federation, accepting a call up to camp, is his way of trying to get a move to Europe? Do you think that this is the easiest way out of Federation of Liga Emeki at this point for him is just to become a U.S. national and take his I mean, chances in Europe? I feel like if you're good enough, you will get scouted. You don't necessarily need to be a part of the national team camp. However, it is great for exposure to be called up, to get some of those games, to have more game time on television. All of that is always better for scouts, to just have more game film to, to get to you. Well, my, my question sort of revolves around the sort of drama that is Liga Emeki and the executives there. They don't like letting Mexican national team players leave the league because, well, they want the domestic stars to stay at home. They want to pay them a crazy amount that can't be matched by a European club. Um... So I feel like at times I see Liga and Mekki is kind of inescapable for a Mexican national team player, especially an older one. But that might not not necessarily be the case for, you know, Zendejas, who's 24-25 right now. Um, and he might want to try his luck abroad. Yeah, it I might mean, be harder if he was Mexican than if he's American to to, to make that move. That's fair. I, I just feel like he's 25, so it's going to be one of his last chances to make a move if there is interest abroad. But... Yeah, for me, like whether it's Mexico that is going to be paying big wages to keep him there or for someone to scout him and want him in Europe, this is probably one of the the few times where he'll be able to be on this stage, get that exposure, and that's kind of where I'm going with it. But I, yeah. I totally feel you. I hear you on that. And I, I don't love that about League MX, but yeah. It's it all hot. It's all high drama. It always is when we start talking about MLS versus Liga Mekki. So um, uh, it's, it's been entertaining to sort of follow this sort of recruiting cycle to go on behind the scenes and see it sort of now come to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. MLS is kind of seen almost as a selling league now. And mm -hmm. we have players that every single transfer window are getting sold to Europe. So maybe it is something like that where you're really trying to get to that point to maybe make a move to MLS, get another year or two under your belt and then transfer out to Europe. I think his cloud contract's almost up with Club America, though, so he's a name to watch that I think could be on the move to Europe in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and today on Sunday, Joe Scali gets sub-minutes in Gladbach's loss to Leverkusen. It was a 3-2 thriller, but eventually Gladbach was on the losing end. Gio Reyna gets the winner for Dortmund in a 4-3 crazy match. The goal was a banger itself. His celebration, a little shush and a... <laughs> I can't hear the haters. Ellie, what did you think about Gio Reyna, his goal, his celebration? The goal was amazing. I mean, that was a rocket. That was beautiful from him. Um, the celebration, I was trying to personally piece it together um, what, who the celebration was for. Because um, it felt slightly targeted. Um, as people on Twitter <laughs> have been saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying to figure out whether it targeted it the whole GeoGate situation going on or fans who are watching the GeoGate situation going on and just kind of 
throwing their own hat into their like I was just trying to figure out what was going on and I, you know it sends a message so if he was trying to do that success um <laughs> uh, but I don't know I don't know I liked the goal bottom line I loved the goal beautiful goal there we go that's how we keep it on this channel straight to the action talking about what's happening Tom what did you make of the goal I mean perfect touch to settle it hits it on the half volley can't do it any better than that Reyna comes on for 19 minutes gets a game winner that's all you can ask of him Dortmund seems to be sort of easing him back in still after his injuries last year so if he's going to do that in his 19 minute appearances that's that's as much as we can ask for right now and the sky's the limit for that kid he's so talented yeah i mean that goal itself and the winner for dortmund is critically important i mean it puts them into sixth place in the bundesliga without those three points they would have been tied for with wolfsburg in sixth place so to to get to 28 be a few points off from just the second place even eintracht frankfurt and union berlin and freiburg for that matter are all on 30 points so now dortmund and because of Reina's goal, gets into that position to be able to see themselves in the second place. I will say that if Dorbin's really going to challenge, they got to do something about that back line because, oh my gosh, it is hard to watch them play. Within 30 seconds of every single one of their first three goals, they conceded. It was spectacular to watch them just sort of melt down every single time they go scored a goal. So I, they've got some good defenders. I don't know if it's Terzic. I don't know if it's the defenders or the tactics. Something's got to give, though, because they cannot be giving up three goals a game. Yeah, there were some wild results in the Bundesliga this this weekend. One of them was Friday's RB Leipzig match against Bayern Munich, where they tied 1-1. And that's kind of the only way I see Munich losing their spot, is to start stumbling a little bit out of the gates to the second half of the season. But otherwise, they're kind of that unstoppable machine in Germany. Uh, Timothy Weah, as we are talking, sees a start for Lille in the group difference. Weston McKinney is currently playing for Juve as we record this episode as well. Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams get the start for Jesse Marsh's Leeds men, who play to a nil-nil draw versus Brentford. Seems like that was a game and a result that didn't move the dial for anyone, really. People that were on the side that Jesse should stay says he should stay. People that say Jesse has only won two matches in 15 say that he should go. What do you guys think of Jesse Marsh at Leeds right now? I personally, yeah, I personally think he's fine. Um, it was fun to watch. Um, I got to sit down and watch it this morning. And I mean, I think that for awesome, then I just, I think, I don't think Jesse's doing anything that I have an argument with. Like, I'm not watching anything. I'm like, mm, there's like things that I would dot 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 here there the other place right like i think that but it's average like i can understand it's average it's not something that i watched and was like wow that was so exciting like tyler adams did tyler adams things brendan aronson did brendan aronson things the rest of the team did the rest of the team things like yeah (laughs) to be fair this was not a normal leads match for me only because they had a clean sheet that they kept throughout. It was a nil-nil draw. When was the last time we were talking about a Leeds nil-nil draw? Brentford didn't have a shot on a target. Yeah, their back line looked so good this morning to the point where it was super boring to watch. When was Leeds ever boring to watch? That was <laughs> wild to me, How just how boring the match was. So We yeah, want our 3-3 back. 
Yeah, uh, if, I, if Jesse can keep the boring defense going and add in a few more goals from all these new signings, I think that there's something there. Leeds could be looking to be in good shape for for staying up this year. Um, my question to you guys is, what do you make of Brendan Aronson's performances as we've started the second half? There have been a lot of new signings coming in. Is it time to maybe start bringing him off the bench? I mean, for me, he probably needs to be benched for a few games. Uh, this was the best game that I've seen since we got back to the World Cup. But even then, it took about 20 minutes for him to really get started, get some good touches. But in those first 20 minutes, he looked like the last 270 minutes that he's played, which have not been great. I mean trying to draw fouls that he doesn't get called on him losing the ball in dangerous spaces but after 20 minutes until he was substituted he looked like the Brendan Aronson of old creating really good chances dribbling off the ball giving his team space I think with the you know with Patrick Bamford getting healthier with uh, Rodrigo staying or uh, yeah Rodrigo being in double digit goals we have Harrison coming back into form Greenwood is healthy then you have Rudder Sinistera, Noto, like there's not much room to put all of those players in the top four spaces for needs. So I, for me, I do think at this point, Brendan Aronson probably needs a rest. Tom, when I mentioned Timothy Wea's name, seeing a start for Leal, I feel like you wanted to say something. Uh, he's starting at left back today again. He has only appeared for Leal as an outside back, right or left, since the World Cup. And I'm getting a little tired of it, and I'm kind of hoping he gets a late move here at the end of this window because this is just getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Although they are playing at three in the back, so he's able to get up high. I was able to watch a little bit on TV today, but yeah, left left wing back or left back. None of those are really Timothy Way's natural spaces. So back in England, Zach Steffen gets a penalty save, but Middlesbrough ultimately loses 2-0 to Sunderland. Ricardo Pepe gets an assist in Groningen's 3-1 loss to Heerenveen. Taylor Booth starts for Utrecht in their 2-0 loss to FC Twente. And Mihailovic was an injury sub in the 34th minute for AZ Alkmaar in their 3-1 victory over Fortuna Sittard. Tom, I think you were able to watch a little bit of them that match. What did you make of Mihailovic's performance? It was kind of a quiet performance, but a solid one nonetheless. He didn't really have a lot to do because Sittard was just woeful they didn't have anything going for them at all after Mihailovic comes into that game it was a very fast 2-1 and then the game just sort of slowed down Mihailovic was playing as the 10 in a 4-2-3-1 uh, on offense and on defense he was sort of defending as a second striker in a 4-4-2 so it was just a lot of quiet maintaining possession it was a lot of you know making some progressive passes when he was asked not making a whole lot of uh, errors offensively or defensively but Mainly, I don't think he has the trust of his teammates yet. They just seem to sort of be passing around him a little bit still. So it's still early. This is a great sub appearance for him to sort of get his feet under him, get some minutes in his belt. So I, it's encouraging to sort of see him be the first off the bench and get in that position and something to build on. Yeah, absolutely. So we are recording this Sunday afternoon, but on Monday, Tim Ream and Anthony Jedi Robinson will be in action against Spurs at home. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And Eunice Musa's Valencia will take on Almeria in La Liga play. Ellie, what was your favorite performance from the weekend? Ooh. I don't know. Um, I I always just love watching Tyler Adams, so I think I'm gonna go with Leeds just just I like 
every time I watch Leeds, every time I watch any game, I just find myself watching Tyler Adams just beautifully predicting everything that's going to happen, doing beautiful changes from, you know, offense, defense, deciding, you know, changing the course of the game. Like, I just, honestly, as someone who's new to soccer, like, Tyler Adams is my favorite person to watch because I feel like I learn a lot and I feel like I understand a lot more about the game because I get to kind of watch kind of get to try and figure out what's going on in his head and be like oh my gosh okay cool so that's what we're thinking you know moving forward it's funny you say that because as a coach that Tyler Adams would be the player that I would tell people to go and watch to understand like how to use space how to think about the game when is he looking back and reading where everybody else is how's he positioning himself so I agree with you Tyler Adams is pretty much the best person to help do that when I started, I started watching N'Golo Conti and Chelsea, and that was the same thing. Like, I felt the same thing doing that. And, like, I can't say how much I love watching Tyler Adams. Like, I can't put into words enough. Yeah. Tom, do you have a favorite performance from the weekend? I want to go to two underrated performances that we didn't really touch on. One would be Weston McKenney getting a beautiful assist for Juventus uh, in, I guess, his midweek match, it was, where he just hit a beautiful early cross from his right wingback position uh, for a goal. Um, another assist that I think flew under the radar for us was uh, Kevin Paredes getting on the field and getting a beautiful assist for Wolfsburg, which is a, a name to watch going forward. He gets his first Bundesliga assist. Um, he's sort of a left wing back, left winger hybrid for Wolfsburg right now. And I'm getting more and more excited for him as we go. He's only 18 years old and he's already getting minutes for Wolfsburg. He's the first American youth player to crack the Wolfsburg first team. So I'm that's another performance that I just have so much great stuff to say about. Absolutely. I need to add him to the USMNT tracker so that I don't miss him next time. But all right, we've talked about everyone that is playing abroad and in Mexico. There are two games coming up this week. The first will be against Serbia. We have the roster now, so let's talk about it. Goalkeepers, Roman Celentano, Sean Johnson, who is unattached, and Gaga Slanita, the Chelsea man right now (laughs) tom what did you make of the goalkeeper selection i i think that this was kind of predictable except for slanina i didn't expect and this is sort of going to be a theme with this roster to be so european centric i think i didn't expect all of these sort of academy players in europe to sort of be released for a non-fifa window to come play for the senior team but slanina getting the nod is awesome i'm really excited for that and i'm really happy for roman Celentano, who has been excellent for fc cincinnati um, I believe that he and Vasquez are the first FC Cincinnati players to get called for the U.S. Men's National Team. Don't quote me on that. Um, it just is such a good story considering Celentano had never represented the U.S. at a youth level. He had never talked to you a U.S. soccer representative until recently. So this is sort of a great story. Another one of those Matt Turner type goalkeeper stories where we have a late developing player who gets a look um, as an MLS starter. Dreams do come true, and especially for goalkeepers who develop a little bit later in life. Going to defenders, we see for the first time on the senior national team, Jonathan Gomez, the Real Sociedad player. That Second time. Playing. He played last Camp Cupcake. Okay. You are right. You are right. Uh, thank you, Tom. Aaron Long, we see him back. John Tolkien, the New York Red Bull player that we wanted to see, is on there. Julian Gressel, Jalen Neal, Walker Zimmerman, Dohan Jones, and Sam Rogers round us out. Ellie, any defenders that you're particularly excited to see? I don't know. I mean, I always, 
I always enjoy wa- watching Walker Zimmerman, and I kind of want to see him have a comeback performance after all of the like controversy around him at the World Cup. Like I, I think he's an awesome defender, and I, I'm excited to see him act as a leader um, for everyone that's coming up. Um, it's really cool to see Aaron Long coming back. Um, I again, it's really awesome to see our leadership coming through for a brand new, you know. Who knows who's going to continue onward in this camp and it's good to see leadership there to support um stoked to see jonathan gomez come through i he's been a name that i've seen on my list of, of players to watch out for and so it's really nice to see to see his name pop up again so yeah absolutely i feel i want to touch on that theme that you're talking about with leadership in every position because if you look at the goalkeepers defenders midfielders and forwards there's at least one senior player that is a veteran in this group that seems to be there to really help that group gel. Tom, what do you think about the overall roster roster build in that respect? It's a really good mix of youth. It's a good mix of experience. It's a good mix of domestic and European names. It's a good mix of... It's just... I, it's kind of a well-constructed roster. I, I, I It's not, a, not usual for me to look at a January camp roster and say, wow, this is intriguing it's diverse it's unique it's this is probably my favorite january camp roster in years amazing let's talk about the midfielders and paxton aronson brandon's little brother but he is also in europe now at on track frankfurt gets released for this kellen acosta aiden morris ellen senora who we haven't seen paxton pomacall and eric williamson comes back from his knee injury tom what are you excited about in the midfielder position there's a lot to love here. I, I would like to give you and I credit for last week nailing the three names that we wanted to see on the roster. Who get we get a midfield, a forward, and a defender that we put our put out there that were must call ups. We get all three of them, including Paxton Pomacall, who is, I believe, the player with the least minutes who was capped under Greg Berhalter. He has five total minutes for the U.S. Men's National Team in one January camp friendly uh, in his career. So. Hopefully we get to see more minutes from him this break, uh, this window. Um, so excited by that name. But Eric Williamson comes back into the fold after missing most of last year due to an ACL. He had a great Gold Cup in 2021, was sort of a name that we thought might play a role in qualifying. Couldn't really make that happen. Couldn't break in for the World Cup. Great to see him back. And then Alan Senora is another name that we've been talking about for a while. He's been playing in Argentina. I think he's been looking at a move to MLS, so this sort of helps him make that transition. Uh, he and his brother Joel were both U.S. Youth National Team representatives, or at least Joel was. Um, but he's a midfielder we've been watching for a while and wanting to get a look at. So another really exciting name there. When we were talking about Alejandro Zendejas, that's the person that I was thinking about as someone that's trying to come to MLS to make that next step in their career and potentially move abroad after. So... Ali Zendayhouse is on the forward list along with Paul Ariola. I think it's interesting here because he was one of the first players out of the roster for the World Cup and kind of got, you know, we we were a little stunned on the outside to not see this name. Maybe someone like Jordan Morris take that spot instead. So to see him back in the January roster, to see him back, happy to take the call up, be a part of the team again, I think that speaks to Paul Ariola's just emotional intelligence and his ability to be a team player. Along with that, Matthew Hoffey, the Middlesbrough player who, is, who has scored more goals for their academy university team than he has played minutes for their senior team. 
Brandon Vasquez, the FC Cincinnati player, like we talked about, Kate Cowell, Emmanuel Sabi, and Jesus Ferreira round out the rest of the forwards. Ellie, other than Jesus Ferreira, who is the player that is the most exciting forward in this group? Um, Kate Cowell, probably for me. Um, That's an interesting take. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Watch out for. I just, I'm excited to see. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a well, why do you say Kate Cow? Why, 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 yeah, why do you say hey, Kate Cow? Just go for it. Defend it. Don't let, don't let Tom believe. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've just heard a lot of positive about Kate Cow. Like, every, like, when I hear names to watch out for in the future, his name, like, I hear it pop up. And I don't know, see his name again. And again, I'm really new to all this. And so, He's not someone I've I've seen a lot of because I'm still learning so much. But like to see someone that I've had on my list and have pop up again and be like, oh, cool. So now I like zero in even more and like there's more to learn. Like, I don't know. I just think it, I was really excited. I was I thought it was cool. Was like, Yay. That's a, that's a fair take. I mean, it's it's an exciting name. He's he's got a very bright future, I think, if he can ever learn the technical side of the game because he is. Um, one of the strongest teenagers I have ever seen in my life. Um, I personally am going to sort of throw Brandon Vasquez out there just as uh, a guy who scored 20 goals in MLS last year, a guy who has been leading the line at FC Cincinnati, um, just a guy who's so overdue for a call-up, and it's so good to see his name finally get on a roster. We get to see what he's got in the U.S. shirt. This is a name that is... It's just time. There's not much else yeah. you can say about it. He, it, We've needed to see this name for a while. I feel like if Kid Cowell is the athlete that needs to learn how to play technically, Brandon Vasquez is a player that is just straight up yoked, but has <laughs> the technical ability to go with it because he is a monster physically, but uh, he can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot. I'm excited to see Brandon Vasquez. All right, anything else with the roster? What, what do we expect out of these games? Should we... Should we be happy with wins? Should we be happy with seeing new players? What are you guys looking forward to? Tom, we'll start with you. I'm just looking to see how the team or how these players play individually. I think it's not about results, really. We don't even have a manager or any really tactics going on. We have the worst manager almost in the history of MLS coaching us right now. <laughs> There's not really a lot that I'm looking for tactics-wise or wins-wise. I just want to see some individual great moments from these guys uh, in these two matches and get them some international experience. So if we score a couple goals, if we, you know, have some fun moments that we can sort of clip and talk about, that's that's going to be a win for me. Ellie, what's a successful camp for you? I mean, I think it's seeing these players gel, and I think it's seeing them learn um, more than anything. I think seeing any progress in almost any of these players, um, except for maybe our our veterans, but seeing like seeing our young players come through and like seeing it, how much like maybe looking beginning and end, how much they've grown and what they've learned from being around veterans and being around each other and playing with each other. Um, I'm looking for learning. Um, I wins, losses, anything in between. I just want to see these players like learn from one another, and I want to see like if that translates and how that translates to the future. Yeah, I mean, if if we learned anything from the World Cup, it's that depth is never a bad thing, and we can never have too much depth. So happy to have all of these players develop into someone that can be depended on for the A team or A B team 
especially going into 2026. Especially this year of all years, given that we are in a U20 World Cup year, and a couple of these names like Paxton Aronson, Jalen Neal, are Jonathan Gomez, are U20 World Cup eligible. Um, other names like Kate, Kate Cowell, I guess, is too. Other names like Matthew Hoppy, um, I think Aiden Morris and Paxton Pomacall are all U23 eligible, which makes them eligible for the 2024 Olympics starting next year. So we've got youth tournaments that are coming up that we're going to need to fill rosters for. We've got gold cups coming up that we're going to need to fill rosters for. And these January camps have traditionally hosted some breakout names. So it's just going to be fun to sort of see if we get any breakout names from this camp. Keep in mind that names like Mark McKenzie and Matt Turner and Miles Robinson and Brandon Aronson all got their debuts in January camps. Jesus Ferreira had his debut at a January camp. So you never know what you're going to get from a camp cupcake. I think my breakout star is going to be Alan Senora, but I want to hear one from each of you. Tom, who's going to be your breakout player for this camp? Ooh, my breakout player, I think it's going to be Eric Williamson. I think that that's a name that I've been excited about. He's looked great every time he's been in a U.S. shirt. That Gold Cup run was awesome, so look out for him. But don't sleep on Julian Gressel. That it might be the most biased take I've ever had on this podcast as someone who watched a lot of Atlanta United when he was really in the prime of his career. But I love his game. He has a ridiculously good cross. He has a ridiculously powerful um, driven low shot to the far corner. So if he can get forward, he is a dynamic playmaker from the right back spot. And he's got an engine. I feel like he, he never stops running. Ellie, oh, yeah. who's your breakout player? Gagas Lonina, I think is my breakout player. Um, just I, I've again I've heard about his his whole career and seeing him go abroad, like I I think that um I think Chelsea will be watching this uh, camp very heavily to see what he does and as they should, um, see what he's like in a national team camp. And I I'm hoping that it, by getting a look, by getting this camp he gets a start for club as well and gets to continue to grow. And maybe we have another goalkeeper to add to the list. Like that's so fun. That may, this might be his way to play his way into a loan or potentially really solidify his spot as a number three keeper at Chelsea. All right. So if those are the USMNT games, we had two women's team matches that came across our desk last week. They played New Zealand twice in New Zealand at two different spots. The first match ended 4-0 for the U.S., and the second match ended 5-0 for the U.S. What did we learn from these? I think going into it, we had talked about potentially needing to learn what our midfield would be looking like with Kat Macario still out, Julie Ertz still out with injuries. We needed to talk about the goalkeepers between Alyssa Nair and Casey Murphy. They each got 90 minutes in these matches, so we're still splitting time there. And then our center backs were still a big question. Alex Morgan had tightness in her leg in that second match, and we saw Hutch come in and get a goal in that 5-0 victory. Rose LaBelle also, I think, just really set herself apart from the rest of the team. She was balling out all 180 minutes of those games. The first touches were just perfect. Like I have not seen a man or a woman have that first touch, have that perfect first touch, and just so consistent. And then that second goal... She had the 2-0 up in that second match. It was a volley. The cross was amazing. The volley was amazing. So that, that's my take. I'm done talking about it. But 
those are all our questions going in. Did we answer those questions or what did we learn from these matches? I, I think we learned a lot about the front line. I think that we solidified at least our starting our, our I think we learned at least who our roster spots are going to be, if I'll put it that way. I expect that the starting striker will be either be the Katarina Macario or Alex Morgan leaning towards Macario because I'm really high on her. And I think our wingers will be a three-man rotation or three-woman rotation of Sophia Smith when she's back healthy, Mal Pugh, and then Trinity Rodman, who I thought was probably the best player across both matches. It seemed like every time she touched the ball, she managed to put in a beautiful assist. Um, so I, I think that that was my big takeaway. I still have lots of questions about what we're doing with the midfield. I yeah, We tried Taylor Korniak at the six. It spectacularly failed in the first half of the first game. Uh, Lindsey Horan, I did not think, covered herself in glory as an eight in the first game we played, and then she didn't play the second. Uh, Andy Sullivan looked really good, locking down the midfield the first game when she came in at the six. Rose Lavelle is Rose Lavelle. Ashley Sanchez is pushing for a starting spot, although I'm not sure that I'm totally sold on her being a starter in that midfield yet. So I, I still have lots of questions about the midfield. And then I have a big question about what Crystal Dunn's role is going to be going forward. She looked good, but is she really an outside back? Could we find a way to slot her into the midfield? We have good coverage at the wing at the outside backs now. Sofia Huerta is probably one of my favorite players to watch. We have Emily Fox who can play that left back role really well. What what does this all look like? Uh, that I, I still have lots of questions. I think they all sort of revolve around that midfield and Crystal Dunn. Yeah, I mean, we even changed how we played within the two games in that midfield. The first one, Roosevelt, was clearly an attacking midfielder, but in the second, she dropped into a double pivot, playing one of the eights, and Ashley Sanchez was playing in that number 10 role. But you could see, too, in that second match, Roosevelt still wasn't worried about getting forward. Obviously, that second goal that we scored showed that she was still able to get into the box. So I thought uh, we were trying things that, we could potentially see as the way we set up in the World Cup, but there is a lot of time left to still get some of these players back healthy and still a lot of questions to answer. So, Ellie, I want to ask you about the results because at the end of last year, we had three straight losses and then finished with a win against Germany. This was kind of a way to get ourselves back on track going into the World Cup year. How much can we take away from a 9 nothing aggregate against New Zealand who didn't have all of their best players available to them. Um, I mean, I think any win obviously builds confidence, especially going into a World Cup and playing in, you know, the stadiums that you're potentially going to be playing in. I think it brings confidence, which is great, right? It it lets us walk in away from a season that wasn't necessarily, like our ending wasn't necessarily the best, but now we walk in with a completely different look on everything, um, which, you know, resets never, never hurt. Um at least in this situation right now, I don't think it will. Um, I think that the question marks, like there are so many question marks, I think that that's a little tough moving into a World Cup, and I think that's definitely weighing on players, and that's not something you want walking in. But at the same time, it I think it also can bring a pretty, like, it, it brings some competition, which hopefully has everyone playing on their toes and, you know, moves us forward into, like, this is, it's a big year. It's a big year for the women's team having a World Cup, and I think that playing on your toes doesn't hurt and all that kind of thing. We'll be defending our title for the third time or trying to go for three in a row. 
no one's ever won three in a row. Actually, props to the U.S. women's team because these January camps are usually kind of a slog for them. Um, we have never actually won a match to start a World Cup year. We have lost or drawn every single January game we've played. Uh, for opening January game we've played in a World Cup year in our history as a women's national team program. So. I don't know. Does that bode poorly for us that we won these? <laughs> I don't know. I think that we didn't play France this time, which is how we won, I think, pretty much every That's one of our World Cups. So uh, we're bucking that trend entirely. Yeah. So um, it's 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 a unique set of circumstances. We've never been here before. I think the UK, women's game is in a completely different spot than it's ever been before. So it'll be a whole yeah. new challenge to defend this year yep all right thanks so much for the insights on the u.s women's national team also mallory Pugh is now mallory swanson i believe but we'll we'll go by both just because it's relatively new uh, and takes over she just says that she doesn't care which one you call her although i do want to start making an effort to use her married name because but it's gonna take a while to get used to that i'm only saying that because i assume in broadcast they're gonna call her Mallory Swanson, and if we yes. do Pew, people will get confused. So we are yes. talking about the same person here. Yes. All right. The reoccurring segment, the top five player power rankings are back. We had an amazing start to the year, but now week three, lots of action in Europe, and Ellie gets to add her power rankings to the fold. Let's start at number five for all of us. I think Tom and I have a pretty similar list this week. We actually agree completely. I think I've changed up my three so that we agree completely. Although I think I might I might get crucified for this, but I'm going to slide my five out completely from what we agreed on and go with Weston McKinney. Um, because I think Weston McKinney, despite the bait, you, and, switch. The bait and switch, I had Gio Reyna there. I'm going to drop him from my power rankings. People are not going to like that to Straight up. But um, Weston McKenney continues to be the most versatile role player in Europe for almost any team that exists out there. Um, he did this at Schalke. He's now doing it at Juventus where he just plays whatever position asked of him and he does well in that position. He's currently playing right back for Juventus and he played really well and got an assist there. Um, we'll see how that progresses over time. But when you can be that useful you can just go out there and be told play this position play, play it well and then go out and put in a good performance you are so valuable to a, any team in the world and that's that's why i've got him at five right now yeah ellie who's your number five mckenny i just it was so awesome to see him go out and have that beautiful assist this week i was so ecstatic to see him playing well and i think thomas is right i mean he's one of it's amazing to see someone who plays so such a versatile role and can be moved around so much and still succeed um i think it's bodes super well for us as a national team and i always love when like watching him play um he's just an amazing player and i think seeing him be able to move around and still get assists and still get goals and still get everything like i just i don't think he can be denied in that power ranking there yeah i had Gio arena a number five an electric player and leaves no doubt this week especially that he still has a lot more to give to the u.s to Dortmund in his career at number four i had a player that scored again this week josh Sargent moves up the list into the rankings because of his play for norwich ellie who do you have at number four i am Sargent. i have Sargent as well um watching his 
his uh game just beautiful just he played super well he i mean there's just no denying he's a really really good player and watching him play is fun and like he had the hockey assist um this week for norwich and his beautiful goal like it just i don't think that can be denied that he's he definitely earns a pretty high spot on that power ranking i'm surprised he didn't do valiant i have him as my honorable mention i had him really high on my list i really wanted him up there but then I just, I kept thinking about Sargent and I decided I had like a really, I had a very like weird looking power ranking and then I changed it like three times and I just, I wanted to put Bally and I kept trying to like fight myself and be like, he needs to be on there. He played so beautifully. I just, and then I was like, I, I just can't deny that, that Sargent had such a good, has had such a good season um, and deserves his ranking there. Don't be pressured by the outside influences. <laughs> Tom, who do you have at number four? Uh, I have Sargent as well. Um, it's going to take a lot to knock off Josh Sargent from the top five. We had DK above him last week, but DK didn't really put in as strong of performances this week, I think. Um, at this point, he's near the top in goal scored in the championship. He continues to play well for Norwich under a couple of different managers now. Um, and he's got Norwich fighting for promotion again. They're climbing the table, so... Until he keeps putting in, starts putting in worse performances, or someone like Geo surpasses him, he's going to be in pretty close to the top of my rankings. Yeah, and at number three, I believe it is a player of the jersey that you are wearing. Who's that? Chris Richards is going to be number three. I mean, when you put in two performances like that in the English Premier League, you have to be up there in our power rankings. Yeah, absolutely. Ellie, who do you have? Absolutely agree, Richards. I just watch him those starts and to watch him just just beautiful, just beautiful soccer. I just I I don't think it can be denied, and I honestly cannot wait to to see him come back for the national team um, and see him in that center back role because I just like I was sad to see him not on this World Cup roster, and I'm just absolutely excited to see him come back and just I just I don't even have words. <laughs> Devastating not to see him get healthy enough for the world cup and i think these two games this week just show what we were missing i mean so critical to have a center back that has great speed has great tactical awareness has great passing ability all of that probably lives with chris richards tim ream checks some of those boxes but being 35 it's pretty hard to have that speed and that acceleration and recovery so chris richards is the number three at number two who do I have? I have Tyler Adams, the Leeds man. We've talked about him a lot, but he is so crucial to this lead side. I think with Wover, their new center back coming in, they just look so solid today. There were really no chances for Brentford that were really scary for Leeds. And if they could only just put away one of their chances, this could have been a huge three points. Although one point against Brentford is a great point, I think. And they still have a game in hand on all five teams above and below them. So Tyler Adams to me is number two keeps the spot in the power rankings ellie who do you have at number two i have tim ream um i i think that tim ream is just to see the season he's had um and i think everyone's saying you know the the call up for for just how magical he's been bringing fulham up into um up into the top of the table just just a beautiful beautiful performance from from him always and I think that his season just, it can't be denied. He has to be in one of those top two places. 
yeah, we'll see how he does tomorrow against Spurs at uh, Craven Cottage. Tom, who do you have a number two? I got Adams. I, you know, as valuable as he is to Leeds, as valuable as he is to a, a Premier League side, once again, there's going to start to be some staying power in these rankings, and Adams is going to deserve to be near the top until someone can put in a better, more valuable, consistent performance than he is putting in for Leeds every single match. You watch him and just like, okay, Tyler Adams shows up here, steps out of play. Tyler Adams shows up here and steps out of play. Tyler Adams steps out of play, then starts an attack. Um, he's just, he's everywhere, and he does it so consistently. It's it's so much fun to watch. I, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Tom, I'm going to let you take the number one spot then. Who's your number one? I have Tim Ream. Sixth on the table in the Premier League. He continues to defy the odds and put in excellent performance after excellent performance. This Fulham season is one for the history books, and seeing a 35-year-old American captain a Premier League side into a European spot after getting promoted after 15, it's like, what, 15, 16 games now? This is incredible. I'm I'm loving this season from him. I've always been a big Green fan, and he's he's the man right now. He is the man to beat in our power rankings. Well said. I have Tim Ream as well at my number one. Ellie, I think you have a player we've already talked about. Who's your number one? I have Tyler Adams. I, I've already spoken my love for Tyler Adams on this show earlier. I just, for me, it, I think part of that is just me loving to watch Tyler Adams play and, again, watching him be, in my mind, the engine of leads and watching him just take over any field he steps on. Like, I just, I can't, he's my he's my number one, and I just think that he's he's just, amazing like I don't I don't again I have no words like he's just awesome and I I think that he in my book gets that number one for just like he, he changes the field when he's on it he changes a game when he's in it he changes everything uh, ranking everything just by being there so amazing well we'll have to rebrand next week to the Tyler Adams fan club kicking away from it's called soccer awesome so that goes with our power rankings I want to hear from you guys in the comments what is your top five player power rankings right now for players that are playing abroad or in Mexico? We could have in LA's and the house spotting as well in power rankings. And let's get to the mailbag, guys. So this is going to be a new recurring segment. If you want to ask us questions, make sure you're following us on Twitter or you are in the Discord where you can talk to all three of us. You can ask us questions throughout the week and we'll pick a few out to answer during this podcast today. When you're listening, this will be free to listen to, but going forward, it will be a Patreon exclusive for the mailbag listeners. And if you have noticed that there is an increase in the audio quality and the quality of these podcasts, that's because I've been able to get new editors and new software based on Patreon support. So if you do want to support the show and this channel going forward, make sure to check out the Patreon. You get exclusive benefits and you help us out a ton. Thank you very much for that. Let's get to the mailbags. Does Alex Zendejas coming to the U.S. Men's National Team move the dial at all regarding the dual national battle between Mexico and the USA? Who wants to take that one? I'll go ahead and take it to start. I, I'm i not sure that it really moves the dial for me that much. Just because he is an older player, a more established player um, in his career at this point, I think when we're talking about the real dual national battles, we're talking about these sort of 18-year-old kids coming out of uh, LLS academies who 
have a lot of pressure on them from family ties who are sort of trying to weigh the entirety of their career in front of them. Um, a player like Ricardo Pepe, I think, moves the needle more for me. A player like Jonathan Gomez, if he ends up committing, would do a lot to move the needle as well. But a player like Zendejas, who has been in the youth teams for so long at the U.S. level as friends with Christian Pulisic, as the benefit of seven years of professional soccer under his belt, is just sort of not that much of a push over the edge for me uh, compared to some of these younger players. Yeah, you're kind of saying he's not the the one at the very top that would really be the the kind of house of cards that falls for the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's 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 a it's a milestone for us for sure. It's gonna be it's a player actively playing at Club America who's playing for the U.S. men's national team. That's that's never happened before. That's a very um, unique situation and I think is notable, but Ricardo Pepe for me still remains the domino that if he becomes a star, he changes the game. Yeah. All right. And Ellie, as our NISA expert, I want to ask you about something that recently changed in the MLS. This is a fan question as well. Is the removal of the allocation order in MLS a sign of things to come in terms of simplifying the rosters and the finances? Or is this wishful thinking from fans hoping that there is something that resembles the international transfer market or even a regular salary cap league in the U.S.? I don't know. <laughs> um, personally, <laughs> Thomas, I see you're laughing. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I don't think that it actually, I don't think it's that big in my mind. Like the when I saw the news, I... Yes, I mean, it makes a difference, but I, I don't think that it's really going to move that much. I think the bigger questions that I have, I have bigger questions for MLS than than something like this, um, personally. Um, as a lower league soccer fan and as someone watching, like, American League, like, I just, I, no, I don't think it's as big a deal. I don't think it, I mean, it might be a sign of some change, but I don't think this is the sign of change that everyone is hoping for. I think that we're going to need something a little bigger from the U.S. Soccer Federation um, when we're talking about change in U.S. soccer. I'm curious, what is one of those big question marks for MLS that you have? I mean, I think if we're looking at turning into a European system, the, the very first thing that has to change is pro uh, promotion relegation. Like that's like if we're going to look into <laughs> moving into a European system, like the very first thing that has to change is promotion relegation. I shouldn't have even asked. I don't know why I asked. <laughs> that is the most Chattanooga FC fan answer that has ever been given to that question. That is e just, just congrats on towing the party line completely. <laughs> Work of that can of worms. Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. And like it, it's something that definitely has a change. You're going to find a lot of people who you agree with um, who I normally don't agree with on, the, on a lot of stuff. But yeah, ProRail is a huge issue that has to change. Um, and no one uh, is more outspoken about it, except for possibly our friends in Detroit, than y'all down there in Chattanooga. Um, so, <laughs> I guess, um, um, so does the does removing the allocation order further advance the simplification of MLS rules, or is this something like Ellie said that doesn't really play a huge part? In it? it simplifies it a little bit. The allocation order was pretty dumb. Let's be let's be honest with ourselves. Um, the fact that you know. Any player who went abroad had to be assigned to this list was definitely like an archaic rule from when MLS was not stable. So 
it's a sign that the league thinks that they're a little bit more stable um, now, which I think is true. But, you know, I think that an interleague, an inter interleague transfer market removing GAM and TAM would be much more beneficial than removing the allocation disorder completely. Allocation order completely. <laughs> That was, that was going to be my biggest question is, does the Allocation Disorder podcast have to change their name now? Or do they just keep it for historical value? I, someone we'll asked them that. I, yeah, we'll, have to, we'll see how that happens because, yeah, um, uh, they, I, I, they should keep it for historical reasons, which will become more funny as the years go on. But, but. people that just become fans in 2025, they'll have no idea. What so let's talk about original roster rules in MLS. So. Sam Stay Scholar, Felipe Cardenia, Severe, listening to this, let us know what's happening with the allocation disorder and shout out to that podcast. Great podcast. All right, everyone. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, you this episode will follow with an interview with the Aston Villa director of Academy, Ryan May. He'll talk about what makes an amazing coach and his experience going through the English coaching licenses. If you are watching this on YouTube, a video will be available to you at the very end of this episode. Guys, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Let's get to last words. Ellie, what is your last word for the podcast? Okay, I'm not familiar with this part. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I... Just say whatever you want to say. Yeah, it's whatever you want to say. Just sign off with whatever you got. I'm just excited to be here. I'm just excited to be here and get to learn from y'all and from everyone in the comments and in the discords and everywhere. Like, I've I can't say enough. I'm still new to all this, so a bunch of stuff is still going to go over my head. But just excited to come out and continue to learn and give perspective from people who are still learning and still trying to figure it all out. So That's what it's all about. My last word is welcome to Ellie. I think if I would say an introduction for any of that to Ellie, to the podcast, it would be that Tom and I have followed this team for a decade plus and have that We've watched probably every game and have followed every player. I think it's really important also to keep the perspective that people are still learning about the game, learning about the players. And Ellie, four years in, congrats on the journey and being here for a World Cup. Um, but I think that gives a great perspective to people that are maybe finding this podcast or finding this channel that are trying to learn more, really lower the barrier for people to get excited about this team and this, these national teams. Tom, what's your final word? Um, my final word is uh, going to be a plug for the community roster polls that we have been running for the last eight months now, but we're going to keep going for 2026. Um, so we're doing a monthly roster poll in the lead up to the 2026 World Cup, which is, yes, a very long lead up. Um, so if you guys could help me out and go head to the US, it's called Soccer Discord, or maybe we'll try to put the link in the description of this video to try and get some more participation. Let me know what 26 players you think are going to be playing for the U.S. at the World Cup in 2026. Let us know who you think is going to be starting for the U.S. at the World Cup in 2026. And let's see how it changes over time. Let's see how our community uh, evaluates players over the next three and a half years. So I'm excited to bring that back. I'm excited uh, for everything we got going on. And it's called soccer. Um, great things are coming. Yeah, you can find that Discord link in the description below. Everyone, thank you so much for watching, for listening. Thank you, and we'll see you next week on It's Called Soccer. All right, Ryan May, thanks for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Start with introducing yourself, telling us what you're all about and what you do. Yeah, so uh, Ryan May, I'm uh, the head of coaching and development at Aston Villa Football Club in the academy uh, back in the UK. 
Uh, I suppose that job entails looking after the nines, threes, one to twenty threes. So anything basically within the academy structure outside of the first team. Um, and it's around coach development. It's around the curriculum. It's about developing the players. So it's um, it's a it's an enjoyable job. Every week I get to see all of the players in our academy. Um, so no days the same. So uh, well, it's not a job really. It's a hobby I get paid for. So it's uh, yeah. Good existence. Right. Brings me to the next question is you're obviously in a professional capacity. Mm-hmm. How did you get to this point where you've made your passion your job and what was your football story? Yeah, well, I suppose how you get there is a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of hard work uh, and a bit of luck as well. Um, it's, it's probably that stereotypical thing. So I started my coaching uh, quite young. I was I did my B license, my UA for B license when I was 17. Uh, and I passed my UA for A license at the time. I was the youngest to have done it at 21. I'm sure there's someone that surpassed that. Someone's a lot cleverer than me now. Um, but I suppose in essence, I was a player that knocked on the door of being professional in and around it. Um, and an injury at 19 then sort of forced my hand a little bit. So back in the day, there weren't too many jobs, full-time jobs within football. So um it was an opportunity that I thought, well, well, we'll give it a go. So my first job um, was Chelsea when I graduated from university. Um, I spent some wonderful years there before heading up to uh, Scotland, uh, to Glasgow Rangers. Um, spent a few years there, headed back down to the Midlands where my wife was from, uh, to West Bromwich Albion in my first stint. Um, a gentleman called Dan Ashwa, who was our technical director, became the technical director of the, the National Association, the English FA. Um, Dan asked me to then sort of go to the England FA, so that was my next stage on the journey. Um, Funnily enough, as part of that job, I was working back within the professional game doing coach education. So we would provide in situ sort of support to the coaches within the game in their environments, which was quite unique. Uh, And West Brom were one of my clubs, funnily enough, when I went back in. So um, there were some jobs that then got, um, I suppose, funded by the Premier League, which was heads of coaching. Um, So I then had the offer of West Brom to come back and be their head of coaching. That happened. Obviously, my boss there was a gentleman called Mark Harrison. Uh, Mark Harrison then got a move to Aston Villa, which is very typical in football. You tend to follow someone that tends to like you, so that tends to help be the doors get opened. Uh, if you do a good job for people, they tend to want to keep you. So that's uh, the last sort of stage of the, the leg so far, and I'm at Aston Villa. So You never know. <laughs> you never know. You're, you're now a developer of coaches, not necessarily a developer of players, although your, your influence passes down to players. Yeah. What would you say makes, are there specific traits that make great? Oh, that's a really good question, that. And if you've got the answer, let me know. Um, I think it's a, it's a number of things. I think the biggest thing, it's not really about uh, what you know in your head. The X's and O's lots of people can have. Um, I think it's the ability to uh, relate and your personality, um, the ability to connect with people and I suppose understand how that emotional intelligence and that situational awareness blends together to meet the needs of the individuals at that point in that time and it and it changes every day. The players that come in at under nine now are different from the players at under nine ten years ago. So I can't and the coaches can't be the same person they were there, so they have to evolve. Um it's about the generational shifts too yeah. that you even have to change your how you're relating to players as they start coming through in those U nine uh, yeah, everyone's different, aren't they? So everyone's got different wants and needs. And I suppose as the players have come through, one thing I've definitely noticed now more is they want more personal attention. So although it's a team game within the academy environment, 
they've all got the aspirations and the dream to play for our first team to be a professional football player. So even younger and younger and younger now, they're demanding more attention. They're demanding more bespoke one-to-one uh, delivery and support. Um, I suppose that's something in the States that's happened a lot. One-to-ones has been something very popular. It's now something that is, over the last five years, becoming more prevalent in the UK. Um, so therefore, that appetite then trickles into, obviously, the academy because that's where we get the players from grassroots. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest shift in change. So now coaches have to coach players, not session. Um, and that's hard to be able to spin 16 different plates within a session. So you have to be more adaptable. You have to probably have a great skill competency level. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's evolution all the time, really. So you came through, you said you were knocking on the door professionally, mm. had an injury that forced you into staying around the game in a different capacity. Mm. What would you say are the biggest barriers for people that are looking to get into coaching on a professional level? It depends. Um, if you're good enough, I don't think there are barriers. I think because people, I'm always looking around for within grassroots and stuff for coaches. I'm very fortunate that Obviously, my daughter plays in and around it as well. And obviously, my son, when he was growing up. So you're constantly involved. And my, one of my job is to try and find that next piece of talent. So um, I don't look down the nose type thing of, oh, he's a grassroots coach. You try and look for the talents of that personality and aspects. The biggest barrier is qualification. So we are mandatory, have to have a minimum of a B license if you're a part-time member of staff. Uh, because of the status of our academy being category one under the Premier League system, so that's the top level. I can't employ a full-time member of staff unless they've got their UA for a license and their FA Advanced Youth Award. So in order to get that job, you need to have the qualifications. So they take time to get. So if you probably started on your C license and wanted to get through to your A license, you're probably going to take at least six to 10 years to get it. Um, so you've got to have at least 10 years experience under your belt before you can potentially access a full-time role now. You have three years in London, go through the FA level one. Yeah. Level two, which is the UXC. Yeah. And then looking around at what is next. If yeah, yeah. Like, this is going to take a lot of uh, risk-taking. Yeah, how does, massive. Yeah, how does that? Uh, so what would be your advice to maybe someone that's on that younger scale or looking to get in more professionally? Is it to take those risks or maybe some advice for your younger self? Yeah, never say no to a coaching opportunity. And um, whatever that is, whether that's working with boys, whether it's working with girls, whether it's working with disability social inclusion if you can get on the grass and work with people to coach you'll develop your adaptability you'll develop your communication skills you'll develop your ability to build rapport you'll i suppose via osmosis develop that emotional intelligence and situational awareness so that experience piece is, is huge so amass as many opportunities and experiences as you can uh, be patient don't be in a hurry um if you're good you'll come through um, and you never know when that next opportunity is there. You never know who's watching. So you, you get those chances and, and don't be put off by potentially knockbacks. Because in essence, in our business, there are probably, let's say, a thousand jobs full-time within, I suppose, even the academy system. And there's probably 30,000 coaches that are qualified to be able to do it. So the market to get in is quite tough. But there are so many opportunities now within football that are paid that I never had. So there weren't grassroots companies, there weren't collegiate jobs, there weren't university jobs, there weren't further education jobs. There's lots of opportunities to get your foot into paid employment within coaching. Um, so if you enjoy it, take opportunities and never say no. You'll amass the experience and then who knows.
network is key. Speaking to a mostly American audience that yeah. Is there something that American coaches you found do really well? You mentioned the one-on-one that has just kind of been within the ethos of how we coach uh, youth players. So is there something that we do really well as Americans? And maybe is there something missing from what you've seen in the general population of American coaches? Listen, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say anything was missing um, because everyone's different, every culture's different. And I've got a strong belief that there's no such thing as a bad session, just a misunderstood one. Um, I think one thing that the Americans do wonderfully, which I've experienced all of this week since I've been here, is is the ability to communicate and build rapport. Um, and if I had some of that enthusiasm and energy into some of the British coaches, be, be a lovely blend. Um, so, no, I don't think, listen, your culture is your culture and ours is, is ours. Um, I know there's lots of British coaches that have come across the pond and, and have settled in and it's, it's quite a, a happy mix really, but in essence, you've got to coach what's in front of you. You've got to understand the culture. And if you can understand what the wants and needs are of the people in front of you, then I think you'll get it right. I don't think there is a right and a wrong. Absolutely right about that. When I was growing up, if someone had a different accent than an American accent, it'd be like, trust the guru. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now we see, you know, in the introduction of American coaches into Europe, not mm-hmm. just Jesse Marsh, but David Wagner has been in the Bundesliga and now in the championship yep. as well. Um, so what do you see as kind of the future evolution, not just of American coaches, but just more of the globalization of the gate? Well, borders are getting smaller, aren't they? So people are having the opportunities to go. People, especially chairman and owners, they're starting to, I suppose, blend into a lot of the other countries. So as to it ourselves, we've, we've got an American uh, 50% owner. Um, so it's becoming a global game, isn't it? So therefore, it's a global market to recruit from. So the competition's just got higher, isn't it? And, and everyone brings slightly different things from their culture that might add value to, to ours. So I can only see that getting more and more. Uh, I think the barriers around work permits um, will mean there's more people that are able to access the opportunities in different countries. And I think that's a healthy thing. You know, if you're, ex- we, we, we talk massively around experiencing it. If I've gone and experienced different countries or we've got a Spanish coach like we have now, you just absorb all of their ideas and the best coaches are the best thieves. You know, they nick everything that you can and then add it to your brand and then you move forwards. Um, so I, I can only see that that getting greater. Uh, what I'd like to see a little bit more is some of the, the UK-British coaches starting to go the other way um, so that we start to move around and start to experience stuff where there's not too many that do go out into Europe or to America bits and pieces to get those. So I think hopefully it becomes a two-way street. Now, Guy Emery is the head coach on the first team at Villa. As someone that's really close to the academy, does that change how you're viewing, how you're developing coaches, how you're developing players? How does that work when the first team manager touches? Not as much as you would think. Um, lots of clubs within the UK have, um, I suppose, their their philosophy. We have our DNA, what we call it. Um, so a lot of the time, the manager will come in and the subtleties around the difference in style of play or game methodology, our job is to translate and relate that into it. But what we've got to do is, obviously the tenure of managers can be quite transitional. So we've got to make sure that our pathway for the 10 years that our boys are in, we're producing players that can fit any system and adaptable players that can go in if the manager decides to change to a back three, back four, et cetera, et cetera. So our stuff is quite fixed. It's about, again, building the relationships, trying to understand the wants and needs of the manager, 
making sure the players, most importantly, understand the wants and needs of the manager and making them competent and comfortable that when they step into that environment, they can absorb the information, they can check and challenge it so they can understand it better and hopefully perform to their ability. So it doesn't affect us as much as people might think. And so I want to give you an opportunity with American fans watching. Mm. They might have not picked a Premier League team to watch, although it's yeah. accessible here. And I don't know what you're doing if you haven't picked a team yet, but what is the DNA of Espo from up above? What are they about? Yeah, I suppose our DNA, we, we've got six strands to our DNA, three in possession, three out. Uh, in essence, it's a game model that dominates the ball. We like to have the ball, uh, and without it, we like to be on the front foot and, and try and win it back as quickly as possible. So it's it's probably high energy and high entertainment. So if, you, if you're going to choose a team, uh, many teams play the way, but... Um, Aston Villa were the team that founded the Football League. People might not know that, but under a, a gas lamp back in uh, in the Victorian days, um, we were the ones that founded the Football League. So we're the founding fathers. So if you're going to pick a team, pick the one that started it all off. There you go. I can't think of a better pitch than that for people <laughs> to get involved. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Final advice to anyone that's watching wanting to become a coach. Just be passionate and enjoy what you do. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.